Hey, how about worship tonight, huh? Is that sweet? So it was Kevin Tully's first time leading the City Life Church worship band, so we want to give some thanks to Kevin Tully. I don't see, is, is he out there? There he is right there. Come on, it was good. A lot of firsts tonight at the City Life Church. Hey, we're excited about this summer series that we're in. This idea of rivers, this idea that our, our lives should have flow, that, that our lives should be life-giving, not life-draining to people around us because we serve a living God. And Scripture teaches us that when we've made a vow of devotion to Him, that He's inside of us. So we should have a life-giving impact and a life-giving presence in the world that we live in. So come on, we like to do giveaways at the City Life Church. So somebody, we've gone through five of these in four weeks. Somebody give me three that we've done. The first hand that I see, three that we've done. Denise Thomason, come on. Generosity, stewardship, and rest. Nice. Come on, we like to applaud. Courageous participation. Yes, we've done stewardship, generosity, service, rest, and, and accountability. And we're going to be working through each of these this summer. We talk about how these are a pathway of life into us in our spiritual life. But this summer, we're also talking about how they are the pathways out of us into the world around us. So this is the big idea of our summer series. Our lives need to have flow. Our words our attitudes, our reactions, our choices, our example, life giving to everyone around us in the 12 pathways make it possible. Rivers of living water flowing out of us and into the world. So tonight we're going to talk about worship. Psalm 40 verse 3 says this, he has given me a new song, a hymn of praise to our God. And listen to what it says. It says, many will see, has double meaning there, what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. That idea that they will see is not just referring to they will see the things that God has done for me, but it's this idea that they will see me in my moment of praise before my God. This idea of the world seeing is that there should be a public side to our worship. We know there's a private side to our worship. We know that there's a place that we're supposed to, to get alone with God. We see that example in the life of Christ, and we talk about that here at the City Life Church. But tonight, what we want to talk about is your public praise. Tonight, we want to talk about the Psalm 40, verse 3 aspect of worship, is that the world needs to see us in a place of expressive praise and adoration before our God, and this psalm tells us why, so that they can put their trust in the Lord. One of the people that has had the biggest impact on my life as a theological mentor is the Reverend Dr. Katie Holman. She's the Assistant Dean of Education for Valley Forge Christian College at the Woodbridge campus in Northern Virginia. And years ago, we were sitting down and talking about churches like ours that are expressive in worship and why that's such an important part of who we are and what we do. And she said, she, she said you know, Fred, one of the reasons why that's so important for us about what we believe is because we become stained glass windows to one another. We begin to talk about favorite cathedrals and places. I grew up in Richmond, churches that I would love to go. I love that this church that we're going to be moving into, come on, in the fall, first of the year, North Riverside Baptist Church, they have stained glass windows. Oh, come on, stop it. I grew up in the Episcopal Church. Come on, you're just going to have to bear with me. There's a part of the beauty of that that inspires my heart. 
I'll just give you an update. Come on, we had our first meeting with the architects on Friday morning, and so we're hoping within the next week or so, the joint exploratory committee between us and North Riverside Baptist Church, uh, we're going to be able to pick one of those architects and begin the journey of putting the design plan on that sanctuary. Come on, I'm praying that we're going to be in there for Christmas. I don't know if we're going to make that or not, but we're going to make it there. Come on, we're going to make it there. It's going to be exciting. And they have stained glass windows. Did I mention that? In stained glass windows, if you notice them, there's a story, the story of God, scriptures, parables, different churches use those stained glass windows in different ways to tell the story of scripture, and it's also telling us the story of people, and and Dr. Holman was saying, Fred, we are that to one another. Your story, in a moment of worship, as people see you praising God, and they know about your life, and what you've struggled with, and what, you're, you're a stained glass window to the world. Every Saturday that we get together in worship, you'll see me do it. I stop and I look around the room. I want to see the stained glass window that's in here. For some of you, we know your story. We know what you're going through. We know the story of God that's being told in your life. And God has called us. Come on, Psalm 40, verse 3. Many will see because in their seeing, they'll put their trust in him. Psalm 96, Psalm 98 all talk about this idea of a new song. What does that mean? It means that we just keep coming back to it like prayer, day after day after day. We don't say to these outward moments of expressive worship, I did that last year. Come on, let's do it tomorrow and the next day. He has a new song that he wants to put in your heart, not just because it's supposed to be life-giving to each of us, but because it's supposed to be life-giving to the world so that they would see. Come on, we're going to Talk about worship tonight. As City Life, we're committed to making worship contagious and outwardly expressive praise in the house, awakening others to his abiding presence, inspiring people to put their trust in him. Does your life have flow? So let's talk about one of the things that we believe is at the heart of worship. Worship is about a lot of things. So we're going to hone in on one tonight. It's this idea of the gift of the gaze of our creator. Psalm 42, one through two says this, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God, should say where? Come on, there's a typo there. Did I mention that church has stained glass windows? (laughs) Where can I go, come on, to stand before him? This idea that there is something longing inside of me to be seen by my God. There is something longing inside of me. If you've been around kids and sports and Little League, they just keep looking over to the stands because they want to know if their parents are watching. There's something inside of you that says, I want to be seen by my God. I hunger for it. I thirst for it. There's something deep within. Psalm 73, 25 says, there is nothing in this world that I long for like I long for you. Do you feel that way in your relationship with your creator? There is something inside of you that needs to be touched as you stand in his gaze. And as you give yourself to that moment, it's life-giving to you. But everybody else that's around is watching and they say, I have something in my life that needs to be touched. And it causes them to wonder, could it be that what they have could be what I need? And they begin to take a step. And they put their trust in him because 
of what they saw you do. Psalm 73, 28, oh, this one's good. The psalmist writes, your presence is my good. Come on, your presence is my good. That there is nothing else in this life there is nothing else that I desire more than to stand in your gaze. We're in the midst of a move. We moved last night, yesterday afternoon. Got a call from Dominion Virginia Power. Mr. Michaud, we think that you should evacuate your home. We think there could be a nuclear device there. I said, no, that's my core body temperature right now. It's 325 degrees on this moving van. We were thirsty. Come on, those of you who are there, you know that we each drank about 50 gallons of water last night. I thought I was 85. I had to get up and go to the bathroom so many times as I was sleeping. It's like, this is what, it was prophetic. I knew this was coming, but not yet. Come on, we were, we were moving and something inside of us said, if I don't get a drink of water right now, I will die. We were walking around like with bandanas squeezing ice water over our heads. Your soul, every day that you wake up, whether you connect with it or not, is that thirsty. For the gaze of your God, to be drenched by his presence, to be saturated with his look, to be awash in his glance, I'm telling you, it touches you like nothing else in this world can touch you deep within. And when you give yourself to that moment, you will change your world because your life will have flow. Come on, the gift of his gaze, the great blessing that many of us have heard so many times. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance before you and give you his peace. All of that blessing hinges upon his gaze. All of that blessing hinges upon his look. All of that blessing hinges upon us standing and being seen by our God. The blessing that he wants us to find, the graciousness that he wants us to receive, the peace that he wants us to take possession of, where do we find it? We find it in his gaze. We find it in his presence. We find it in a place of worship where we come like we did tonight and we bend our knee and we give praise and adoration to our God. Come on, we step into the story of the pages of this great book. It is the first blessing that God taught Moses when they came out of Egypt, when he established the Levitical priesthood, that they were supposed to speak over the nation. You could think of all that God could have done. It's the contextual context that we talk about at the City Life Church. The context gives us an insight into the meaning. He could have taught them about anything as the nation was being born, and he taught them about his gaze. Why is that? Because it touches a thirst inside of us like nothing else can. And the other reason that he put it in play at the birth of a nation, because Israel was chosen not just to receive from God, but to be a witness to the world of the one true God and the Messiah that would one day be born into this world. Be seen was the calling that he put on them. Come on, and being seen is the calling that he's put upon us. Does your life have flow? Genesis 3, 8 through 10. I'm just going to give you the first part of that verse. We've got these notes online on the website every week now, so you can go back and, and we usually give you extra verses if you want some extra study. So this is in the man and his wife speaking at Adam and Eve. 
heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid themselves. Sin eclipses his gaze, not because he makes it impossible for God to see us, because there's nothing that we can do to hide from his sight. It eclipses his gaze in the sense that it causes our heart to not want to be seen by him. It eclipses us because the shame that we feel from the wrong that we did or have done, it's like what they were sharing right at the end. Come on, that young lady that was standing up here talking about some things that she had to get right with because it eclipses the gaze of God. We have to set aside that shame. We have to hear him say, I'm not ashamed of you. We have to come back. We have to fight through the inclination of the human heart that always wants to isolate. That's the temptation of our humanity. When we do wrong, we want to walk away from the very thing that we desperately need to restore and to heal us. Humanity always leads us away from God. There's got to be something inside of us or a friend who will come to us if need be. If we're slipping away into a moment of isolation because of the wrong that we've slipped into, that someone takes us by the hand and says, no, 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 come on. You need his gaze now more than ever. And not only that, but the story of your redemption, like the story of these young people as they start school in the fall, come on, the story of the transformation, they're going to be seen. They've been seen by God. Now they're going to be seen by the world and the world is going to find themselves being seen by him because they're not afraid to stand up, to stand up in a generation and say the thirst of your soul is only going to be satisfied by him as it's been satisfied to me. Last week we talked about the journey of the Magi. Can I suggest to you tonight that they didn't just travel hundreds of miles to see Jesus, they came to be seen by him. There was something inside of them. Even as an infant, they just wanted to be beheld in his gaze. And so do we. I don't care how far away you feel from God tonight. Come on. You're a step away, a moment away from stepping into his gaze to be seen by your creator. Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from his sight, but everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You can read those verses, Proverbs 15.3, Proverbs 5.21, and so many others, and you can view that as a threat or you can view it as a promise. You can view it as God saying, I'm watching, or you can view it as God saying to you, there's nowhere that you can go where I'm not there waiting for you to step in, be awakened to my presence, and to let your soul be touched by my stare. You can view it as a threat. You can view it as God being the, come on, the, the one that's standing in heaven with a big stick, but that's not the story that we read about in this book. Come on, do we need a whack with a stick every now and again? Yes, I do. And so do you, because I know many of you. But he only does that, come on, out of the love and the grace. It says he chastens those that he loves. Come on, he comes after us, not because he's angry, but because he loves us. And he says to us, I'm always watching, which means to us, no matter how far away we feel, we can just do this and just turn, come on, and drink it in. And let the world watch, and let the world watch there's got to be a willing on our part to be seen, to not hide in our faith in the one we love. Come on, so I'm going to give you three of these tonight. You've got to be willing to stand out. Listen to me. You've got to be willing to stand out and be conspicuous. 
we were going through these slides before the service and I was talking with somebody on the tech team and they didn't know what I was going to be talking about in this point and, and uh, we were talking about cars a little bit. They saw this word popped up. They didn't know the context of it and they said, you know, I have a conspicuous car. They were describing the car, the color of it, the rims, the license plate. And I was like, yeah, that, that is. That's conspicuous. It's a ticket getter, right? They've had many encounters with Officer Kevin Tully. So I asked them, I said, well, you found your metaphor for tonight. In your worship and in your praise, are you that car in here when you're driving down the road? Is there something about your life that causes other people in your worship to turn their head and see and look? Now, you can say, my personality, I'm a naturally introverted person. Come on, welcome to the club, so am I. But our personalities are not given to us to govern us. Our personalities are given to us to serve us. And no matter what our personality type is, all of us have to be willing to cross the threshold of conspicuous. Now, your personality type might dictate how conspicuous you might be, but everybody should cross the threshold of being seen. You might say, well, what's that look like? And I would say to you, if when people are looking around and they can't tell whether or not you're worshiping, you've not crossed the threshold. If they can't tell whether or not you're trying to remember whether or not you left the iron on before you came here or whether or not you're standing in the presence of the gaze of a sovereign God, then something about your worship has to change at least a little bit. You can be the most naturally introverted person in the world, but you can do this. Come on, you with me? I can't sing. Come on, that's why nobody sits over here. <laughs> Tim and Christy Esther and Dewart as elders of the church, but every week, come on. I don't have any rhythm. You're not going to see me leading the dance team on the platform, but there should be something inside of you that says, if I do not move in this moment, something is going to break inside of my spirit. There should be something about us that says, I am going to cross a threshold of being conspicuous. I'm willing to stand out because I have a calling on my life to be life-giving. I must be willing to be seen. Other people need to find something of God through the stained glass window of your worship. Listen to this in Daniel 6, 10 through 12. It says this, when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house and the window in its upper room was open toward Jerusalem. If you're not familiar with the story of Daniel, make sure you check it out. This week, it's in the Old Testament. It's a, an amazing story. He was one of the great leaders, even though he was in captivity, even though he was a slave of sorts, he had great and mighty influence in the nation that had taken him captive. And a decree had been signed that no one could worship anybody else but the king, Nebuchadnezzar, for a period of time. What did Daniel do? He didn't cower and cry. He didn't tweet despair. Come on, he did what he had done every other day of his life. If you read the story, it says just as he had always done. The open window here in this story, come on, it's not just a story of history. Oh, it is that. But it's a story that has a voice to us in a modern world. It's open because he wants to see the place that he's believing, come on, that he's going to one day go back to because God's deliverance is going to come. It had been prophesied. So they looked out the window to the place that they were one day know that they were going to be in. Oh, come on, we're going to get to that in the next point. But the window was open not just so that he could see 
the window was open so that he could be seen. Even under threat of his life, he knew that he had a mandate and a calling from God to be a public worshiper in the world to be stained glass. Even though he knew it was going to cost him everything, he said, then I will stand before God. If it costs me my life, let my life be taken from me, but my life is going to have flow. He was willing to stand out. He was willing to be conspicuous. Listen to this psalm one more time. Come on, see it. He has given me, that's you, a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed they put their trust in the Lord. No matter what your place is in your comfort level with worship, just take the next step. You don't have to go from sitting there to being up here. You with me? Just take a step with him. If you've never raised your hands, then just turn your palms up. You with me? There, there's a progression. God's okay with the progression. Whatever your journey is to being seen, just get on the, on the road. Just start making some moves. If you never open your mouth to sing along with the words that are on the screen, just start mouthing them, even if you're not making any noise. It's okay. And I know what you're thinking. I know, but I feel conspicuous. And I say, come on, praise the Lord. It's about time. You're thinking to yourself, well, other people are looking at me. And I'm saying, come on, bless the Lord. They're supposed to be. Come on, step into your calling. Stand out. Be conspicuous. Come on, number two, stand up. You've got to be tenacious. Our emotions, like our personalities, are given to us to serve us, not to rule us, and not to govern us. They're given to us as a gift from God, not to be an encumbrance. Our emotions are not something that we're supposed to follow around. Our emotions are something that God's given to us that we say, no, you're going to follow me. Come on. And in our worship, you might say, well, it's just emotion. And I would say to you, yes, it is. I don't know about you, but when you think about everything that God is and what he's promised to us, how could it not be emotional? How could you not feel? People say love is a decision. And I say, well, that's just half of it, brother. If they were walking around telling your wife that all day long, she is miserable. Love's a choice, baby. Yeah, it should be more than that. Have you read the book of the Song of Solomon? Come on. Love's not just a choice. It's a feeling. There's two parts. There's two parts to love. There's two parts to your faith in Christ. There's the journey, come on, of the understanding, but there's the journey of the feeling. I'm telling you, Jesus felt more deeply than any other human being that has walked upon the face of this earth. In the same way that your personality ties into not being wanting to be conspicuous, it can tie in here too. Not wanting to be a feeling person. Your personality might take over to how deeply feeling you might be, but everybody's got to cross the line and feel something. Our emotions were given to us to feel, to celebrate all the emotional words that you find in Scripture. Come on, they're there for a reason. But just as our emotions are given to us to be a blessing in places of worship, it can also be a hindrance because sometimes our emotions are too attached to our circumstance instead of being connected to our promise. Acts 16, 16 through 25, come on. We're going to get off the clock just a little bit. Not too much, but just a little bit. 
Acts 16. I got a bookmark in here somewhere. All right, here we go. 16 to 25. This is a phenomenal story. This is once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit of prediction and made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul, and as she cried out, these men are the slaves of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. But Paul was greatly aggravated. Come on, it's okay to be aggravated. It's right here in the Bible. Was greatly aggravated. And turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. Come on, she was operating under an evil presence in her life that was giving her supernatural power. And when her owners saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And bringing them before the chief magistrate, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt as practice or practice. Then the mob joined in the attack against them and the chief magistrate stripped off their clothes, talk about being conspicuous, and then ordered them to be beaten with rods. Come on. After they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded Receiving such an order, he put them in the innermost prison. Can you imagine the conditions of an innermost prison in the first century? He put them in the innermost prison and secured their feet in stocks. I'm not going to read the 25th verse. I'm just going to ask you this. What would you be doing at that point? You're naked. You've probably been beaten to within an inch of your life. You've been locked in a first century prison with rats and squalor and disease, decaying bodies all around you. I'm just asking you, what would your emotional state be? I know what mine would be, and it would not be good. It would not be what verse 25 is. But God's not going to ask you to go there, come on, unless you're ready to go there. Paul and Silas were ready to go there. But you have an innermost cell that you might be locked in right now that feels like that to you. You might be in a marriage that you feel is failing, and for you, that's an innermost cell. You might be in a financial crisis, and for you, that's an innermost cell that you feel like that you've been locked away in, and there's no hope. No matter what your crisis is, no matter what your tragedy is, no matter what the situation that you're experiencing, the question that you've got to ask yourself, am I going to allow my emotions to be governed and ruled by this circumstance, or I'm going to or am I going to allow them to be governed and ruled by the promises of a sovereign God? I'm not talking about living in denial. I'm not talking about not acknowledging your circumstances. That's why the story is given to us to understand Paul and Silas went through some misery. Paul and Silas went through a time where they had to wrestle with their feelings. That's why it says when it shifts to the next verse in about midnight, it's trying to help us to see they're not robots, they're people. They did some crying. They did some doubting. They did some wrestling with their emotions that we do when we're in a dark place. But at some point, Paul and Silas said, emotions, that's enough. You were not given to me to govern me. You were given to me so that I could feel the joy of the promise of my God in spite of whatever circumstance I might be facing. 
I'm telling you the tragedies that we walk through, whether it's our own doing or not, whether it's a lesson or whether it's what we call at City Life redemptive affliction, it's your greatest opportunity to say something to the world that needs to be said, my God is greater. Come on, verse 25, listen to this. About midnight, Paul and Silas, come on, you right. They were praying and singing hymns to God. Come on, it's a marker for us, for the calling upon our lives. But then it doesn't stop. It could have just stopped there and the story just would have been over the top. You with me? It could end there, but it doesn't. What does it say? And the prisoners were listening to them. They were willing to stand out. They were willing to stand out. They were willing to stand up. They were willing to be tenacious. They were willing to be conspicuous. Come on, the jailer, you, you're going to have to keep reading the story, comes to faith in Christ. The prisoners come to faith in Christ. I'm just saying that to you because I want you to know this idea of being conspicuous in your praise isn't always going to be because the City Life Church band is awakening us to the presence of God. Come on, if you can't worship in here, you're going to be in trouble when you get outside those doors. This is the easiest place you're ever going to be asked to worship. This is the easiest place. Come on, do it here so we can do it out there. Do it here so that you can do it in the workplace. Do it here so that you can do it in the midst of your family. Do it here so that you can do it in the midst of the trying circumstances that are going to come because the call to being conspicuous is not always easy. But come on, that's oftentimes when the biggest crowd is gathered and the greatest moment of the proclamation of Christ can flow from our lives. Do you have life flow? Come on. All right. Psalm 42, 5 through 6. Listen to what David says. Why, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. You see him wrestling here. In between the hour and midnight, I will praise him again, my Savior and my God, but now I'm deeply discouraged, but I will remember. Psalm 44, Psalm 103, Psalm 44, the back end of that are great examples of many of the Psalms that we see David wrestling with his emotion. We're not talking about living in a state of denial. We have to wrestle with the feeling of the sorrow. There's a, there's a time for that. We just can't stay there. At some point, we have to begin to minister to ourselves. At some point, we have to say to ourselves, as it says in Psalm 103, my soul will bless the Lord. You can come in here and you can say, well, I don't feel like it. Come on, that's okay. You might not start out feeling like it, but you can finish up feeling like it. You can speak to yourself. You can, come on, what was the series that we began the year out? Change your world. You've got a garden that you're supposed to have dominion over. Stand up and have dominion over the life that God has given to you. And tell your emotions, we're going to disconnect from the circumstance. We're going to reconnect to our creator. His mercies are new every morning. All right, come on, number three. It's our last one. You've got to stand and you've got to be present. You've got to stand out. You've got to stand up. You've got to stand in. You've got to show up. You've got to be in the house of God and gather with his people. There is a place of your worship that's out there, but you better believe there's also a place of your worship in here. And I'm just telling you, as I read this book, it's as you find your place of worship in here that you're able to get it out there. We are designed by God to need to gather with his people every week. We not only need to be seen by him, but come on, we need to be seen by him as we're seen with each other. There's something that we give to each other. There's something that we need from one another. We're going to get to that sermon when we get to gathering. 
Your life is incomplete if you're disconnected from the body of Christ and the family of God. Luke 9, 57 to 62. Come on, turn there. Luke 9, 57 to 62. Listen to this. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then another said, follow me, Lord, he said, but first let me go and bury my father. He told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said also, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Isn't it great that all the examples that are given here to us, they're good things. For most of us, for most of you, for most of all of us, our greatest enemy in going to the depths of the places of the family of God that he wants us to go are good things that wait for us outside those walls. Most of you aren't going to wake up tomorrow and become the next serial killer. Are you with me? That the world talks about for the next hundred years. You're going to miss your destiny, not because of that. You're going to miss your destiny because you're not a good steward of your time. You're going to miss your destiny because you don't stand in. Because you disengage and you find a reason. You find, hey, come on, we're all busy. We don't come at you too much strong, but we're coming at you a little bit tonight. All of us lead busy lives, but there should be something inside of us that says, I'm not too busy to gather with God's people once every seven days. He could have made you do it every day if he wanted to, but he said, come on, just once a week, gather together. It's how they've been doing it for 2,000 years. We're keeping that tradition moving forward. There's something inside of us that needs to be with the people of God, but not just for you. Listen to me. You're supposed to stand in because somebody else here that night needs your example to move forward in their own journey. If you're just coming for, I'm just, if you are just coming for yourself, there is more to faith in Christ than what you've discovered. There are sporting events. Their family reunions, their vacations, there's things that are always going to take us away. And a measure of those, they're important. I'm, we, that's we talked about rest. Come on, we, pre, we preach balance here. But for some of us, that's all that we do. There's got to be a shift. We need to be away sometimes. But being away should not be what characterizes us. What characterizes us should be that we're found in the midst of the family of God every week. Because the world needs to be watching and they need to find you in the house. Psalm 49 through 10, I have told all your people about your justice. I have not been afraid to speak out. As you, O Lord, well know, I have not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. Come on, he's willing to be seen. I have talked about your faithfulness and saving power where I have told everyone in the great assembly, the gathering of the people of God, of your unfailing love and your faithfulness. You have a mandate that's been given to you by the creator of the universe. Stand out, stand up, and do it as you stand in the house of the Lord. Come on, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to sing a song together.
Come on, you didn't think that I was going to preach that message and I'd give you a chance to do it, did you? Come on. You've got to take those training wheels off at some point. Philippians 2, 9 through 10. Listen to this. Stand with me. Let's do this. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Let me just tell you, give a little commentary of the service. The verse that I was going to close tonight was the verse that Vanessa wrapped up the worship set with, but she didn't know that. You can ask Wayne. I jumped back, right, when we were going through the slides. I said, I want to change. I think we're supposed to use a different verse. Come on, why is that? Because God knew she was going to use that verse. We didn't know that. Come on, God's moving and speaking. You might think it's scripted. Come on, it's scripted all right in heaven. Come on, 2.9 says, Therefore God exalted him, speaking of Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This idea of worship, you can do it now. And at this moment in the end of time that God speaks of here through Paul in a letter to the church of Philippi prophetically. You can do it now and every day for the rest of your life and find the new song that you're supposed to find and be seen by the world as you do it. And walk into this moment, come on, just celebrating, knowing that you're going to get to down, do it forever. That could be your story. Or it can be like a lot of people who come into a service just like this. For some of you who've been in a service just like this before and you sit white knuckle through moments like this. Saying, I'm not going to give in, even though I know God is stirring my heart. I'm not going to get in. And for you, this story is going to have a whole different outcome. Because it says right here, come on, at some point, the whole universe will bow before Christ and worship before him. There will be a point in time in the culmination of history where people, even if they don't want to, they're not going to be able to help it because his glory is going to be so overwhelming. But for some people in that moment, that's going to be the first and the last time they'll ever taste of it. Listen, Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'm going to deny you before my Father. He gives some hard talk. And every Saturday this summer, we're closing this service the same way. If you cannot look into your past and find a moment where you made a vow of devotion, come on, that felt like marriage spiritually to Jesus Christ, then tonight needs to be the night that you look back on for the rest of your life and say, I did it then. If there has never been a moment of time where you stood up before the world and you were willing to be conspicuous, where you were willing to overcome whatever emotion you were struggling with, where you were willing to say, in the midst of the great assembly of the house of God, I took a stand for Christ and I began a journey of worshiping Him and one day I'm going to get to Philippians 2 and I'm just going to rush out into eternity forever and ever. Come on, amen. Then this song's for you tonight. We're not going to ask you to do anything else but at some point during this song, if you look back into your story of your past and there's not been a moment where you've made a vow of devotion to Jesus Christ, we're doing it the same way every summer. You come stand up here. You come stand up here. Nobody's going to come stand with you. Nobody's going to come pray with you because we want to create a moment where you can stand in the gaze of your God. We want to create a moment. You can call it an invitation. 
where you come and you stand before the creator of the universe and you say maybe for the first time or maybe you said it once before and you walked away from it but you're coming back to it where you say God all of who I am belongs to you in Jesus' name come on as we worship you come and you stand
just as we close tonight I'm going to close in prayer in just a second but if you're here tonight and there's something inside of you come on it started in pre-service prayer Vanessa exhorted on it at the end of worship this idea of just these chains that, that, that kind of are on us but come on they're unlocked if you just have that feeling in, in relation to worship tonight where you've said you know what I've struggled with being conspicuous and I've always used my personality as an excuse I'm just going to invite you to come and stand I'm, I'm not gonna, I just want to pray but I just for some of you you need to do something to get free you with me if you're here tonight and emotions are ruling over you instead of you ruling over them then as I pray I just want you to come stand here I'm telling you God wants to give you something tonight deposit into your life if you're here tonight and you're saying, you know what, it's been a struggle for me. I've not made the family of God a priority. Come on, and you feel it in your heart. Come on, I'm getting ready to pray. I'm just going to invite you to come. There's something about saying, God, I want to be seen. As we pray, come on, I'm just telling you, as we pray, you're going to feel something break inside of you that's going to be freedom. Father, we declare tonight that there is a freedom that we can find in you. We declare tonight that we believe and we trust and we hope not because we're deceived or because we're naive, but because you've given us a promise that you can speak a word over us in a moment and our lives can be changed forever. So we say tonight for every person who stands at the front of this church who said, I'm afraid to be seen, we say to you tonight, be free in the name of Jesus Christ, that you are going to live a standout life, that you're going to be conspicuous, it's your calling, it's going to be your mandate, you're going to rise up, and your pendulum, come on, is going to swing to the other side, and you're going to have a witness for Christ that even surprises yourself. And Father, we say tonight, for everybody that's standing up here who's been ruled by their emotions, we say to you tonight, come on, you're free to stand up and rule your life. You're free to stand up and govern your life. You're free to stand up and have dominion over your life. That your emotions were given to you, come on, to serve you, to give you joy, to give you peace, to give you a richness of life that's heaven on earth so you don't have to wait to get there. When you breathe your last, come on, he's going to bring it to you here. And even though you might be locked off in the innermost dungeon of your circumstance and your situation might not change tomorrow, then you're going to find a new song that's deposited in your heart to be free. And we say to every person that's here tonight, who's let the world rob them of their time, come on, you're free. You are free. You are free every week to gather with God's people, to be in His house, to bring the gift of who you are, to deposit it into the body of Christ, to grow up into all things, to step into your calling, to step into the work that God has given you for, to, to step into the place 
that he made you to fit into. And if it's not here, then come on, you're going to fit in somewhere every seven days. You're going to show up. You're going to stand in. In Jesus' holy, precious name, we say, and everybody said together, amen. We'll see you next week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance before you and give you his peace.